Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. It's hard to believe it, but this is the 300th episode of the Autism Stories podcast. I don't think that many podcasts last this long, so I'm grateful to continue to be bringing you so many important stories from the autistic community. And I'm so appreciative to those that have listened over the last five years and those that have emailed us to say how meaningful hearing these stories were to them. Of course, we couldn't do this podcast without the great guests who have been so gracious with their time and also our amazing editor of the podcast, Christiana. So on today's episode, I thought it was appropriate to uh, have Christiana return to Autism Stories to talk about starting a podcast of her own on how sociology of our real world translates to fantastical realms and about Disney's representation of disabled characters and also to talk about her experience as the editor of the Autism Stories podcast. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Christiana, thanks so much for making your triumphant return to here on Autism Stories. That's that's very sweet. Happy to be here. I brought out all, I know people can't see, but I brought out all the fashion stops for you. I'm wearing (laughs) a light-ish seafoam green t-shirt with a dark blue whale shark on it that says don't krill my vibe so i'm dressed up for this podcast let's say (laughs) well with this being the 300th episode of autism stories i thought you would be a wonderful person to interview as you know as much about this podcast over the last couple of years as anyone So having edited every episode over the last couple of years, I was wondering what particular episodes have been particularly meaningful to you? Oh, gosh. I think one thing that I think is really special that's come to mind is we did an interview with someone who's not speaking, and they were pretty young. I think the interview totaled about 10 minutes But everything that this person said, everything they said was just so spot on and just, I think it was Sabrina Guerra. Yes, Sabrina was was wonderful. Yeah, it was just everything Sabrina said was so phenomenally communicated and spot on. I was very impressed because Sabrina is one of our younger guests that we've interviewed. And yeah, she... Sabrina just blew me out of the water. I also really enjoyed hearing a little bit more from different people of like different religious backgrounds. Actually, I think that's one of the beauties of this podcast is we can have people on that are from very 
I'm going to say the same thing again, different religious backgrounds. We've had on two people that are practicing Buddhists, and I thought that was really interesting to hear more about their experiences and what drew them to Buddhism and what they value. I believe that was Danny and Chris Gerald, Mm -hmm. and hearing their perspectives on that I personally found really interesting as someone who's not very familiar with that religion. And we've also had on within the past year or so, two different rabbis actually from the like Jewish faith. And that I really enjoyed hearing and learning more about their perspectives and what they're doing to integrate their communities to be more inclusive and a safer, more welcoming space for all. Because that's something that I've looked into in regards to Christianity and churches. And I've read Dr. Lamar Hardwick's books, who's been on the podcast before. So just hearing all the different life experiences has really, I think, I just personally find it really valuable and meaningful to hear from people of different faiths and how that impacts their autism journey. Apparently, there's been some value in you editing these episodes as you have just recently started your own podcast, The Sociology Princess. Can you tell our little our listeners uh, what they can expect to hear from your wonderful podcast and why you uh, decided to go in front of the mic instead of behind the mic with Autism <laughs> Stories podcast? Yes, I I think ever since I discovered what a camera was, I realized I wanted to be a on camera in front of the mic kind of person, whatever possible. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about the spotlight and being able to give your own thoughts and uh, contribute. I have been listening to different video essays on YouTube for quite some time now, and a lot of them talk about Disney and sometimes get into the sociology of things of why some we fell short or how to better represent these communities going forwards. But I still felt like there was a few topics that got left out. And so I, this is all the way back in 2019. I remember I was listening to a podcast and I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty mediocre. It wasn't your podcast, by the way. (laughs) This is before I heard about autism stories, but there was one podcast I was listening to. I was kind of like, this is pretty mediocre. I could do this. And I was in my like theme park uniform and it's like itchy. And it was like a brisk summer morning or fall. I don't know. I just remember very distinctly walking into work in my uniform, listening to this and realizing I want to do something like this with all these sociological knowledge I've gathered in my classes. So that's going to lead me to embark on a knife art audio essay series. I would love to film video, but I just don't have that kind of time before I hopefully move on to grad school. So this is my pre-grad school hurrah. So some of the topics I felt like were left out were, there's a lot around ageism that we'll touch on in the film Sleeping Beauty, I feel like older women get to contribute to the plot, which is something we don't see often. And I feel like that film's just been so bashed for Aurora having the least amount of speaking lines. 
but we'll touch on that in just a moment because that's one of the questions. I also, in college, learned more about the Asian American experience and how that's not a monolith and more about why the model minority is actually a myth. And so I wanted to do an episode for my own personal edification to help any other people out there who did not have the opportunity to learn about that yet. So that's going to be the next episode coming out. It's themed around Big Hero 6, which is one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. So I'm really excited about that. And then the next four episodes are about, it's all about disability in Disney films, where it's been, what we've gotten recently and where it's going. I'm super stoked about that. And then I'm hoping I still need to write the scripts for these last two, but it's going to be about Star Wars and revolution and when people reach a point to where violence is the only way to enact a revolution and defend human rights. That's going to be a bit... (laughs) Star Wars fans are going to hate it because no one loves Star Wars like people who hate Star Wars, but it's probably going to be some of my boldest work, so I'm saving the best for last, I guess, because Spinon's theories that I learned about at school I found really fascinating, but also really important and insightful, and I think more people should know about that. So without commentating on any modern ideas, I'm going to take the nonce work, combine it with Star Wars, and then just let the viewer go from there and interpret how they will. You just mentioned that Big Hero 6 is one of your favorite Disney movies. I thought all Disney movies oh, were, were yeah. one of your favorites. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. <laughs> I'm very familiar with the Disney umbrella. <laughs> so I was excited to hear that you were starting your own podcast because I think there's so much value in what you have to say. And hosting Sociology Princess allows you to use your voice. So what are some ways in the future that you want to use your voice to educate and advocate? That's a, I really appreciate that because I'm looking into occupational therapy right now. I'm really set on doing a clinical doctorate. So that's an additional year of school on top of the two years that you would do for a master's degree. The master's degree prepares you to work as an occupational therapist. For those who don't know, occupational therapy is a field of healthcare that is centered around helping people do what's meaningful to them. So the word occupation to occupational therapist can involve something like a job, but it could also be, how do you get out of bed in the morning? How do you apply makeup after you've had a stroke? How do you live your best life in your golden years while still trying to do something that's important to you, like dancing or skee-ball. I'm not sure. Anything can be an occupation. Anything you do that's important to you is defined as an occupation. What I really hope to do in the future is to design my own research project in an OTD program to help center the voices of young adults with developmental and or intellectual disabilities. I feel like for so long, they've been overlooked in being included in research and what's meaningful to them and 
there's just so much that they have to say and so much that they have to give to the world. We just need to find ways to do it that's accessible for them. And I feel like when we do that, when we take the time to find creative ways to do this research, it can be really powerful. And I'm going to hopefully provide an example in, again, one of the podcasts when I talk about more of the modern Disney disability representation, but I just really hope to empower people through the profession of occupational therapy. I know it's been deeply entrenched in the medical model for many years, but there have been a lot of people that are stepping up and saying, we can change this and make this a more equitable profession. And there are also autistic occupational therapists that are pushing for this as well as allies to the community. So I really want to follow in their footsteps and continue to come alongside them. And now I'm getting old, so thinking about learning from yay, <laughs> yay. It's, I get it's we should the celebrate that. Wisdom of age is something to celebrate. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely. That's what the yay is about. To clarify. Yeah, we definitely should celebrate as as we get older. So and you know, as I get older, I'm I'm wanting to learn from a more and more older older people. So in the second episode of your podcast, you discuss how the fairies in the 1959 uh, Disney film Sleeping Beauty, how they were as older women essential to the plot, the fairies, when sometimes, or maybe oftentimes we should say, older women are looked down upon or not given certain opportunities to show what they can contribute. So that makes me wonder about what ways have older women been critical in the story of your life? That's a really great question. I wish I had more time to reflect on this because I feel like my answer will be insufficient, but uh, here it goes. I know that for me, one of the examples of someone who's older in my life was a pastor. They were a pastor of children's ministries back when I was a child and then they eventually went on to become one of the pastors of the entire church and being able to hear her speak on Sundays, I think really gave me a lot of insight into the value of the voice of older women and just the wisdom from hard earned experience that older adults can have. She mentioned a story about how there was a, I believe a teenager who intentionally broke something that was glass and it needed to be cleaned up but instead of just being like oh my gosh what's wrong with you like clean that up now she took the time to talk to this individual and be kind of like what's going on you seem frustrated and they were able to talk through things and have a more in-depth conversation about what's going on in this person's life what they need and how to hopefully potentially meet their needs before they focused on cleaning up the glass together. I thought that was a really beautiful picture of being intentional and slowing down and not getting so caught up in the little accidents of life that we don't pay attention to why those things happen in the first place. I hope that kind of answers the question a little bit. And I do have a lot of really great aunts out there that 
just want to shout out to. So they've been really instrumental in checking in on my well-being and just kind of taking me out from time to time. Yeah, just with everything been through the past year, they've continued to check in with me and give their two cents as if so desired. I'd say they're really good at not like overstepping, but they're always willing to share if I have any questions or need any advice. So shout out to the aunties. (laughs) (laughs) Now in uh, some of the upcoming episodes of the sociology princess podcast, you'll be touching on Disney and disability. So thinking about uh, where we are right now at the end of 2023, how do you look at where Disney is in representation of disabled characters in in their films? I'm going to sip a little tea first before I answer. <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> that was actually water. Unfortunately, I don't have tea. But Disney's definitely come a long way. And I do want to give them props for updating a lot of their, how do I fix this? Disney's come a long way. And I do want to give them credit for paying more attention to these issues that do affect their viewers. And of course, our communities as a whole, because disability impacts everyone. That being said, Disney's first foray into what could be considered uh, disabled characters was not very strong. In the 1937 film, Snow White, I'm gonna be talking about this. I think there's been a lot of conversations around Snow White recently and the potential for this live action remake. I think what the creator should pay attention to is Disney's first disabled character, which is actually Dopey. Dopey is you can kind of guess by the name, uh, kind of more of a comedic punching bag, if you will. There are physical moments with Dopey where he's physically hurt by the others at his supposed party. They say he can talk, but he doesn't talk for the whole film. And I think this is kind of a trend that's been pointed out to me. I'm so sorry, I do not remember the researcher's name but they wrote an article about this in Diversity in Disney Films, the book. So that's what I'm pulling from when talking about a lot of the early representation, especially of characters who are more or less not speaking. We see it again in Cinderella with the character of Gus or Gus Gus, where he's kind of excluded from the mice, put in dangerous situations and treated kind of like a punching bag, essentially, unfortunately. And of course, we have Dumbo, which also unfortunately is not only an incredibly racist movie, but it also is basically a super crip story where Dumbo is only valued because his large ears allow him to fly. Other than that, he's treated very poorly throughout the film. Disney really had a rough start when it came to disability representation, and I can go into more of the specifics in the podcast. But in regards to where Disney's coming to now they had in 2016 in finding dory they had two characters one's name is gerald and one's name is becky becky is a bird who's not seen as particularly intellectually bright 
I should specify, Finding Dory, they're all fish and birds and aquatic creatures. So those are kind of their peers. And at first they kind of poke fun at Becky a little bit. But at a later point in the film, Becky comes back because I need her help. It does take Becky a little while to realize what's going on. But like when she knows what's going on, she's able to help them. And so they kind of, in some way, have a reconciling moment, even if it's not established that Marlon, who initially doubted her, is growing as a character in that moment. And then there's also Gerald, who they wanted to try to make Gerald a nerd, kind of like the nerdy outcast that a lot of these animators felt like when growing up. Unfortunately, in the film, they for some reason did decide to make Gerald not speak. Whereas I feel like if they added a nerdy voice to his character, that would have gotten the point across better than to just have Gerald not speak. They did say they had animators on their team come forward when they realized Gerald was wearing a pail on his head and they didn't want it to accidentally code in a negative way towards people with disabilities who don't communicate with mouth words. But unfortunately, it still kind of came across that way in the film to some people. I love the disability community's commentary on Finding Dory. Like, if you haven't gone back and read blogs about it, like, search, like, disability Finding Dory, you will find them, and they are awesome. Because there is also a lot of positive disability representation in the film as well, like the character of Destiny. Destiny is confined to essentially what I find a metaphor for an institution, the aquarium, because of her nearsightedness. But it turns out she's actually able to thrive in the ocean environment because of because there's no walls in the ocean for her to run into because of her nearsightedness. And so to lock away this beautiful, wonderful, quirky whale shark behind the walls of the aquarium felt really disheartening. Because even though people thought they were trying to protect her, she actually was capable of so much more than they assumed. And I feel like that's a really powerful metaphor for why institutionalization is not the solution when it comes to disability and why what we used to think we did to try to help people actually wasn't that helpful. So that's how I read that part of the film. And I'm really excited to talk about that more. And then lastly, on uh, Disney and disability, I will give a shout out to float and loop float was written by a dad of an autistic son and it's a journey about him learning to accept and celebrate his son the way he is and i think that was a really powerful statement coming from a parent of an autistic person because sometimes people get really stuck in the doubt and the fear that their kids not like everyone else so to see this parent put his journey into the media in an uplifting way, I think was really powerful and very affirming. And then we also have Loop. While the director, Erica Milsom, is, I believe to our knowledge, neurotypical, she listened to people from the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network and reached out to them 
to learn about the autistic experience when she was creating a non-speaking character. The character in this short named Renee is voiced by, I believe I included the name of the voice actress in the script, but it is voiced by someone who's not speaking. And one of the things they mentioned when filming is that she wasn't really comfortable in the studio. So instead of scrapping the idea and saying, hey, we don't want to actually cast a non-speaker for a character who's not speaking, they said, why don't we consider the environment? What they did instead was they went to her house with her family's permission and they filmed the voice lines there in an environment she was more familiar and comfortable in. So she was able to do the different vocalizations easier and they're able to get that and include it in the short. And I think that's really powerful. So Disney's come a really long way from treating characters with disabilities, especially non-speaking characters, from punching bags to people who deserve to have respect and love and all the same things that we want. And I'm really, given the direction these Pixar shorts went in, I'm really excited to see what Disney can do in the future. That's a long answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's broken up into like three or four podcast episodes. In many cases, you were talking about coding briefly. I think in many cases, uh, people may not know that we as autistic people are autistic unless we kind of disclose that information. So I'm wondering if there are some coded characters in Disney that you think may identify with the autistic experience. I think what's interesting is you did mention the talking about this briefly before the podcast, but you mentioned Ariel from The Little Mermaid being coded as an autistic character. And I I don't think we can confirm she's autistic, but I do absolutely see how she can be relatable for autistic people such as myself. And I did look into it when you mentioned that, and there were actually some articles written by autistic people talking about how they relate to Ariel. I think that's beautiful. And there's also a very popular theory going around that I subscribe to, which is that Lilo from Lilo and Stitch is also autistic, in addition to wrestling with her parents not being there, being raised by her older sister, and all the complications that come with that situation. I do think that we should definitely remind neurotypicals gently that it's absolutely okay to have autistic character headcanons because we don't have a lot of good representation for our groups in the media whereas they get to see themselves represented in media like almost all the time and also it's not it's not hurting you or detracting from what you see in the character, if anything, it's actually a bridge. And I'm going to talk about this. The fourth episode of my disability series is about Elsa and how Elsa's a bridge for people who may not have a disability, understanding the disability experience better. Yeah, it's very clear in the film that Elsa wants the same things that anyone would want, which is love and connection and community and through the eyes of the viewer and through a fictional ice power that 
is treated like a disability throughout the film. And I can cite the information for that as well. I'll be citing that in my episode on Elsa, which is a 12 page long script. So I don't know how long it's going to be when I say the whole thing out loud, but currently it's at 12 pages. So that'll be long, but fun. Having these characters as headcanons is actually a really beneficial thing for everyone because it helps us relate to each other in ways that we otherwise might not be able to. It helps us learn to empathize better with people who are going through things that may be different from us. And that is really powerful and what media is supposed to do. And I think that's it. And how can our listeners uh, learn more about and listen to the Sociology Princess podcast? Yes, please, please listen to it. Um, it's, it's a very small right now. You can subscribe. There's two places you can find the Sociology Princess podcast. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Sociology Princess, or you can go onto Spotify and you can subscribe and listen there. There's currently two episodes out. So you have an individual episode, like a little intro where I talk about what I want the podcast to be, that it's not going to be a full-time thing for me, but that I really wanted to get this out there before graduate school because it's something I'm passionate about. And then the second episode out right now is, is Sleeping Beauty Actually Feminist? And I don't want to, I guess, spoil the conclusion to my catchy thumbnail. But yeah, that seems to be people who have listened to it have said that they've really enjoyed it overall. Um, one person said they started to fall asleep. But um, <laughs> that's, that's okay. I think they just needed a nap. I don't think that was related to my podcast, but you know, why don't you check it out and be the judge of that for yourself? I, Maybe I just have a soothing voice. I'm not sure. I've fallen asleep many nights listening to podcasts and it wasn't because I wasn't interested. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So please go ahead and uh, look there for the podcast. I'd love a few more listeners here or there. And if you're interested in Disney and I think this is for you or sociology. Yeah. Well, how did we get through an entire podcast episode, not talking about star Wars, figure skating or gymnastics <laughs> or cats. <laughs> or cats. <laughs> I was talking to a staff member earlier today. And so I kind of got the cat conversation out of the way a little bit. Yeah, I do want to say in regards to my social media, I am also trying to start going back to occupational therapy again. I'm trying to start a page to talk about different sensory hacks or different things I encountered during the graduate school application process when it comes to occupational therapy and how I pick the school. So not only can you follow my podcast, you can follow my personal page on Instagram, which is Sociology Princess as well, but I'm also starting something just kind of slowly here and there as I can called Rock Brain. So it's like Rock Brain underscore OTS. I hope to one day change that. Well, sometimes it's OTS with a question mark because I'm not technically a student yet, but I'm hoping one day I can change that to Rock Brain OT. And if you don't mind, Doug, I'd like to chat a little bit about why I chose Rock Brain. 
Go for okay. it. Doug is nodding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I chose Rock Brain due to a conversation I had when I was exploring different colleges. I made a list of people who were researching different topics relating to autism. And I went and I talked to each professor individually. And one of them mentioned this program called How Does Your Engine Run? And talked about that there's these different little characters about these negative thoughts we have in our minds. But it wasn't really necessarily negative thoughts because these characters are actually, these characteristics that they're saying are only negative actually do have a positive. So it's taking these like neurodivergent traits and ways of thinking and making it out to be only a negative thing. And that was really disheartening. One of them is rock brain, which is the inability to have flexible thinking. You're being stubborn when you want or need something you want or need it now and nothing's going to change that. I'm just thinking like, I wouldn't make it to where I was today if I wasn't stubborn. Sometimes stubborn AF. (laughs) (laughs) It was taking these characteristics that we can utilize in a positive, meaningful way and making it out to be only negative. And so I wanted to use the word rock brain to kind of reclaim that and say, yes, I'm stubborn because I want to stand for things that matter to me. I want to be stubborn if I'm standing up for others or I need to persevere in a class to get this degree where I can hopefully use it to help people. Being stubborn can be empowering, not just to myself, but to those around me. And that's why I chose the name Rock Brain. So I wanted to touch on that really quick. So if you're able to find those social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and I believe my TikTok is under Rock Brain, that's some of the content that I hope to continue to post in the upcoming future. Stubborn is an interesting word because I think another definition for stubborn can be is I know what I need and I'm going to advocate for for that regardless of what you have to say. And I think I think a big part of that is so often that people do not listen to us as autistic and neurodivergent people. So then we're labeled stubborn as a result of it. I absolutely agree with that. Um, also, Doug, before we wrap things up, I was wondering if we could maybe try something new for the 300th episode. Oh, uh-oh. This is, now I'm scared. Sorry. Now I'm scared. Sorry to, sorry to spring this up. What, 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 what is going on right now, Christiane? <laughs> so, I, I did mean to mention this earlier, but gosh, we right, I just had such a busy week. I thought it'd be fun to do a little audience question. Okay, let's, let's go for okay. it. So my question to our dear listeners, thank you for listening. You not only keep me employed, but I hope you find value in this podcast. So I love you all. Thanks so much for listening. I'm wondering if you are a listener and you're also a Taylor Swift fan, doesn't matter if you know Taylor Swift from her first album or from her later stuff. Like if you're a Swifty, you're a Swifty. I'm wondering if you wanted to weigh in on what era do you think Doug is. (laughs) What era of Taylor Swift do you think our podcast host would would fit him? I think I'll go ahead and make my case for the one I think you are, Doug. Well, first of all, you are wearing a gray shirt, so that's kind of very on the nose for folklore. 
which I personally think your error would be because folklore is, there's two reasons. One of them is that Taylor takes a break from writing about her personal experiences to focus on telling the stories of fictional people. And so she really values stories in this album. And that's something that I think really resonates with you. And the second reason is that this is, I think the first album she uses the F word on. <laughs> and you're, you're very open to uh, using language as a, as the situation calls for when appropriate to do so. But no, he's, he's pretty mellow. He's, he's not like, he's good. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll cut that part out. I don't want to make you look bad. No, but yeah. No, I definitely will use the F word and many other words when needed in context. I don't think that they're, yeah. I don't think they're bad words, just kind of like the, you know, like curse words get a reputation like the word stubborn, right? Like it's a lot of times people just look at it with a bad connotation. And I think it's a good use of language sometimes to articulate your point. Yeah, I do want to say in context, and this is more in our like casual conversations that we have in between our uh, work days, not like at clients or anything. Yeah. It's very professional on the up and up, but yeah, you know, there's just sometimes in a casual conversation, which is like, oh, I have this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked about Taylor Swift in this episode, so this will probably be our most popular episode ever. So, uh, <laughs> although we did have one uh, person, one one wonderful person. Mm-hmm who is a big Taylor Swift fan many episodes ago, and I can't remember her wonderful name at this moment. But def- I think it was Ariel, maybe? Ariel Coulson? Yes, it was Ariel Coulson, yes. So yeah. Right. yeah, go back and listen to that episode if you're particularly a Taylor Swift fan, which is apparently half of the universe at this point. <laughs> so, well, I'll do the little fearless heart here on the screen. <laughs> Well, Christiana, thanks so much for uh, coming on for episode 300. And thanks so much to your, for your dedication for editing uh, the episodes, because since you've kind of joined our team, the editing has definitely um, improved. Thank you. I've worked really hard on it. The other day, my husband was watching me do some edits and he was like, I'm really impressed. Like, you really have the staff. And I was like, really? I didn't know I was doing a good job. So... Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was an honor to be the 300th guest. I hope that the listeners enjoyed it, and I hope that they'll continue to enjoy every episode going forward. And thank you, Doug, for starting the podcast. Thanks so much to Christiana for the conversation. To learn more about Christiana's podcast, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts, our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts, experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what has worked for them and about the things that they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients and then ask thoughtful questions offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get you the things you desire? If so, then visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.